Oh, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. You can be seated just for a few moments. And I'll let you stand for the reading of the word. It's such an honor to be here to see this beautiful building, be a part of dedicating it unto the Lord. And, of course, this congregation was dedicated to the Lord a long time ago. And uh, now you have a beautiful, wonderful building. Um, I've been just admiring all the aspects of it, taking pictures because I know my family wants to see it. And uh, they sure hated not to be able to be here to be a part of this celebration. But um, what what a beautiful work that you have done here and God has blessed you to be able to have this. And you know, the Bible lets us know that there were eight souls saved on the ark. You know why there were only eight? Because Noah had just come out of a long building program. But I was glad to hear the testimony that people were added to the church during the building program. That's what the Holy Ghost can do. But they are, building programs are notorious for wearing down the saints of the Most High. And then right in the middle of this wonderful celebration about this building, the saints are still getting worn out. Because all that good food they've been back there cooking and preparing for us. And uh, now I, I love coming to celebrations, but I, I love eating. And uh, I know, you know somebody that really loves eating is when you catch them talking about food in between the meals. And uh, I love eating. So I'll do my best not to keep you too long tonight because we've got a good meal awaiting but I also usually on average, preaching at home, I, I, uh, I usually go a little bit longer than the preliminaries. And so we've had a little over an hour and a half of preliminaries. And uh, I can't preach an hour and a half anymore. And last year, I was headed to church Wednesday night on a Wednesday night and started hurting in my chest and I got in my office and started hurting a whole lot worse it was time for church prayer to start I didn't make it out there to prayer they pulled an ambulance up there and took me to the hospital and by the time I got out of there a couple of weeks later I had had a total revamping of the plumbing of my heart I'd had a heart attack and had five bypasses and so um, anyway I'm thankful God's hand was in there in a lot of ways uh, my widow maker was 98% blocked and I didn't have the heart attack in that area it was just one of those little tremors ahead of the work uh, the earthquake and they told me if I'd have had a heart attack from that widow maker uh, they might not could have even saved me if I'd have been in the hospital when it started. 
So God is good. They first assigned me to the youngest surgeon, newest guy on the team. And uh, so the next day, though, his wife had her baby and he had to go on maternity leave. And a surgeon came in to do it on the weekend. And my son looked him up and he said, Dad, he is, he's listed in the top five in the United States. So anyway, I guess he's a good plumber. I'm standing here. Uh, but I also know I used to do, we used to do a lot of building, remodeling. The hardest and worst thing we had about remodeling was hooking up new plumbing to old plumbing. So anyway, I know he probably had his work cut out. But it's good to be here with all of you, and uh, it just feels like being with old friends, and uh, we were young friends not two or three years ago, and then we just woke up old, and we are the elders now, elder. We go, we're talking about the elders all the time, and now we are the elders, and uh, speaking of the elders, I want to give honor to Elder Triplett. And uh, that's the heritage of this church. I was very privileged to get to know him and so thankful I got to, got to do that. And uh, through Brother Daniel and Brother Uzzle, their meetings, that's where I met him. And, and uh, I appreciate him. When I came over here to camp meeting, you know, camp meeting's the time you got all your ministerial friends in town and... Um, Everybody's there. It's a big deal. And, and it just so happened that week that a family, an unsaved family, got interested in the church. They were there every night, maybe every service. And on a night, on night, all those nights when all of Brother Triplett's friends were there, he didn't sit and eat with a one of them. Every night he sat with that family. And talk to them. And I said to myself right then, that's why there's a big church right here. That man loves souls. Amen. And that's the heritage, church. That's how you can fill this building up. Amen. You need to find some sinners and love them. That's what the elder did. And uh, it is good to be able to celebrate with and to honor Brother and Sister Samson. I appreciate them. I, I think, I don't know if I preached the first one you had. Brother Caleb said it was the first one or two. And, and uh, it was an honor then, and it's an honor to be back here um, tonight. And I love Brother and Sister Samson, their passion for the work of the Lord, and Sister Samson's singing and joy. You know what? We ought to have a smile on our face at church. There ought to be joy. And uh, there ought to be shouting, worshiping, and uh, you've got a good example. And it's also good to see uh, that that work's being, that burden and vision's being caught by Brother Caleb Sampson and his wife. And uh, I knew I recognized her when I saw her, but I couldn't remember from where. And then it was Jack's Creek, that's where it was. And so... Thank you so much for the hospitality and uh, the kindness that you have shown to me being here. It's just been a joy. 
And uh, my boys heard Brother Fox back at youth camp. I had never heard Brother Fox preach, but I tell you what, that man preached last night, put something in our hearts. And uh, Brother Shield, that was wonderful today. That was wonderful. And as he sat there and gave us all those examples from the Word of God about helps, you know, it's like this old song I remember listening to the radio years ago when I was a kid. Nobody wants to play rhythm guitar behind Jesus. Everybody wants to be the lead singer in the band. Y'all may not know that. I don't think I ever heard it sung in church, but I remember that song. And uh, everybody wants to be out front getting the pats on the back, but not many people want to want to uh, be the helps in the church. But we couldn't have it without helps. Amen. The ministry of helps. And you are ministering to others by putting your elbow grease in the church, helping to win the lost. That's what it's doing. We've got to have a lighthouse here. And so I want to go to the word of the Lord. I, I don't want to preach a long time because... Um, I know you're probably a little bit um, road weary from coming in here. This local church is probably weary from all the preparations. But you know, we do have church in order to both hear from God and to worship God. You know, I, I don't say that we are now ready for the most important part of the service. We are about to have the most important part of the service for us. But I'll tell you, God don't need any preaching. He comes to church to be worshiped. So when you say this is the most important part of the service, well, maybe for us. But the most important part for God is the worship we give to him. Don't ever diminish the worship and the praise. Because that's God's most important part of the service. The world won't give him the glory. Somebody's got to give him the glory. Praise God. So we're about ready for one of the more important parts of the service. Let's stand and we're going to go to the book of Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1. It is an honor to see all of you in the ministry that are here giving honor to this church and to this man of God and his family. And uh, I appreciate the opportunity to fellowship with good men of God. We're going to read a couple of places in the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 1, beginning at verse 8. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply, and it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. Therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. 
And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and in brick and in all manner of service in the field. All their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. And the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, of which the name of the one was Shipra, and the name of the other was Pua. And he said, When ye do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, then ye shall kill him. But if it be a daughter, then she shall live. Exodus chapter 2. Verse 1, and there went a man of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi, and the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could not longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein, and she laid it in the flags by the river's bank. Let's pray and ask God to help us in this place tonight. God, we need your touch. We need your anointing. God, I'm hungry for your presence in this place. God, I want to see you do something for us. Help us, oh God, in Jesus' name. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. We want to follow your perfect will, Jesus. Let your anointing fill this room. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, God, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Somebody clap your hands to the Lord. God, we give you praise. Oh, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Amen, amen. Lord bless you. You may be seated. I want to preach to you a little while tonight about our destiny and our future as the church. And uh, we, there are a number of things have been said about filling this building up. There have been things said about the old paths and about holding on to the things that got us here. And uh, I feel a burden on my heart about these things. I have been praying, God, I, want, I, I don't want to just preach a sermon. I, I want to hear from you. I want there to be a word from God. We, we don't have a long time left to work for God. We, we don't have time for sermonizing. We don't have time for playing church. We've got to follow God and do what he wants us to do. Amen. I love this church and I love this truth. But I, I, I will have to say that I do realize I'm on the other side of the hill. I know I've got good genes because my dad is 97. He preached a week or so ago. He can still preach. My mother's 91. And uh, I got 
good genes, but uh, somewhere in there, there was a little switch that didn't get flipped just right. Because the reason I've had all this trouble, my doctor said, your body makes a particularly bad kind of cholesterol. And so I'm like, oh, tell my mother and daddy, I don't think I'm going to make it to your age. And we'll think I'm going to get there. But you know what? Even if I did, I'm still on that other side. And I know I don't have as long to work for the Lord if he tarries as some of you might have. I am on that side of the ministry where I'm realizing that if we're going to have an apostolic church, then somebody's got to get the vision. Somebody's got to get a love for truth in their heart. And I pray that I can help some to get a hold of what God wants to do all the way till Jesus comes. And I'm not a doom and gloom preacher. I believe that when Jesus comes back for his church, when that trumpet sounds, there's gonna be a true apostolic church that's alive and well and having the same kind of church you and I grew up in. Amen. The Bible says the dead in Christ are going to rise first and we which are alive and remain are going to be caught up. There's going to be a church that's still having church when he comes back. But it's not going to be everywhere. And in my lifetime, I've seen churches that were alive and well and living right that are no longer alive and well and living right. But I've seen other churches spring up. Why? Because if somebody doesn't want it over here, God's gonna find another person that does because this gospel must be preached. It must be lived. It must be loved. Because the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. That's a promise. You just better stick with the church. Amen. But I want to preach tonight about whose hands the future is in. And I believe that the future is in your hands. We're, on the, we're, we're right here with a brand new building. And uh, a lot's being thought and a lot's being said about where we're going from here and what we're gonna see. We know we can look back and see what's in our heritage. We know that signs and wonders and miracles and repenting and baptism in Jesus' name and baptism in the Holy Ghost fills our past and our heritage. Where do we plan to go from here? I'll tell you where God wants it to go. He wants it to be just more of the same. Hallelujah. He wants it to be the same way it's always been. He doesn't have a different plan. He doesn't have a different method. He doesn't have a different program for the end time as he had for yesterday. It's the same. And I have thought, give me just a few minutes to kind of lay a foundation, but I've got a few places I want to get to. And I feel this message. I felt it for this church, but we're all parts of local churches. We're all part of this. And you know, the people of God were in bondage. They, they They were down in Egypt in slavery. 
things were not going well. They had become a nation numerically, but they were not a nation in sovereignty and authority, power and freedom and liberty and all of those things that a nation wants and should have. They were an oppressed people and they were in bondage. They were crying out to God and God was listening to their prayers. But uh, in the midst of slavery and in the midst of bondage and in hard times, they were, they were, they were driven by cruel taskmasters. And not only that, there was a death sentence on all their boy babies. That's a terrible thing. And it's, it's known that one of the times, as far as we can tell, that very probably uh, in, in Egypt's history, which is fairly well documented even back in that day, uh, figuring out, well, where was this in Egypt's timeline? There was a time when, when there were foreign people who had come in and had really taken over the leadership of Egypt and they governed Egypt and, and uh, they, they were always worried about even the Egyptian people rising up against them. And when they looked across at those Israelites, that's why they could say they are more than we are. They didn't outnumber the Egyptians, but they outnumbered that, that group of people that had come in and usurped that throne and they were worried and so they, they really had to press down that's also the reason they didn't know why those Israelites were there. They didn't remember Joseph because they weren't a part of how Joseph delivered uh, Egypt. They, they, they hated the power that they knew was the potential of Israel. So they were destroying their future every day. Every day that the future was trying to be born, they were destroying it. There were no really hopeful signs around. And I want you to just put yourself in the home and look at that little woman, Jochebed. Look at her life. She's expecting a child. It's hard times. This child has nothing but a, a, a future slavery ahead of it if it's a girl and death if it's a boy. All around her, times are hard, times are bad, but, but we are on the other side of this. We know the miracles of how God sent the plagues on Israel, on Egypt. We know how the Red Sea parted and the waters rolled back and they went through on dry ground. We know how God gave them the law in the wilderness and turned them from a group of slaves into a people of promise and faith and they marched into the promised land. The walls of Jericho came down. We know the future of Israel in that place. The great prophets that prophesied. We know the great King David who established a throne and the, and the, and the prophet said that a Messiah is coming to sit on that throne. But somewhere in that little humble slave shack, there was a cry of a newborn baby. Everything that I just mentioned to you was bound 
in that little 20-inch human being. Every bit of the future of Israel hinged on that little baby. And at the moment, that little baby was in the hands of a mother who was under orders to turn that baby over for killing. But the Bible says that she had looked at that child and she saw he was a goodly child. There was something that she saw in that baby. I don't know if she had reconciled herself. I've only got a 50-50 chance of having a living baby. I don't know what I'm gonna do. Maybe I'm just gonna have to reconcile myself to losing any son that I have. That was all the way up until she took a look at that baby and there was something in that baby that stirred a heart her heart, and she said, I just don't think that I can give this baby up. I don't think I could live with myself if I let Egypt take my child. I'll do whatever I can. I'm gonna fight, I'm gonna hold on, I'll hide that baby, but I'm not turning this promise over to Egypt. She made her decision, and she Held, we, we often jump ahead to how the Lord had prepared for Pharaoh's daughter to take care of Moses. But before Pharaoh's daughter ever got her hands on her, there was a time when the entire future of Israel was in the hands of a little mother named Jochebed. Oh yeah, I'm telling you, every miracle, the crossing of the Red Sea, David on the throne, it all hung there in the balance. As one little mother said, Egypt's not getting my baby. I want my baby to live. I don't know who he's gonna be, but I got a feeling there's a future here. You don't even know how big of a future there is, but if you can obey God, if you can fall in love with that baby, then you can, everything's gonna be all right. And then when she had done all she could do, she put that baby in that little ark and said, okay, God, I've taken this child as far as I can take him. Now I gotta trust in you, but I am not turning this baby over to be killed. When you have done all you can do, the only thing you can do is turn your promise over to God. It'll be in good hands, but I'll tell you this, God's waiting to see what you're gonna do, and then he'll back you up. I don't have time to tell you the rest of the story, but you know it. It's very familiar how that Moses, uh, she was given the chance to raise up Moses under the protection of Pharaoh's daughter. By the time he gets uh, over into the land that he had to flee to, they said, he looked like an Egyptian, walked like an Egyptian, talked like an Egyptian. Those ladies said an Egyptian saved us. Uh, so he didn't get what he knew from Pharaoh's palace. They might have dressed him. They might have 
educated him. They might have put their culture in them, but they are not the ones that put a love for God in his heart. I'm telling you, that little mother said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give him everything I know. I'm gonna teach him everything I know. I'm not gonna put within him the mentality of a slave. I'm gonna tell him we're, we're, we're better than that. We are worshipers of the one true living God. These are your people. They're worth fighting for. They're worth identifying with. Oh, hallelujah. That's why when it came down to it, all of the riches of Pharaoh were nothing compared to the reproach that he would suffer with his brethren. But his mother had put something in him that even though on one hand he could have had all of the wealth of the known world, but he said, I'll trade it all in for the reproach of identifying with the people of God, the reproach of Christ. Now that's how plainly it was put in the word. Even in spite of that, I heard a preacher one time say Moses missed it. That God put him in Pharaoh's palace and it was from that position of authority God intended him to uh, deliver his people. Baloney. He's commended in the book of Hebrews for identifying with the people of God instead of sitting on the throne of Egypt. I want you to know right now, God doesn't need Egypt to do one thing. He doesn't need the wealth of this world. He doesn't need their ways. He doesn't need their programs. He doesn't need their technology. Let me tell you, he put it in a prayer warrior's prayer. He put it in a preacher's exhortation. What is needed to save this whole world? Oh, hallelujah. So I want to tell you, I can stand up here and preach it. And I am preaching about the future of this church, the promise of the church. I believe, brother, that we're going to have revival in our time. But you know whose hands it in is in? It's not in Brother Fox's hands. He preached to you the word of God. Now it's in your hands. What are you going to do with the baby? What are you going to do with the promise that's coming down your road? Yeah, the cry of a new day has burst forth, but Jacobad, what are you, you're gonna have to fight to have any future with this baby because there are spirits everywhere that hate this message, that hate this old time way, that hate this apostolic living, that hate every word in this book. Oh, Jesus. If you're going to have it this old time way, I'm going to tell you there's a lot, of, a lot of churches selling out. They don't want this old time way. Egypt said the old time way needs to die every time it tries to cry out and be born. You know, this old book, you can be seated. I can preach as hard as I ever could only for a few minutes. I do have to catch my breath. This old book, you know there's a lot in it that folks are getting a little embarrassed about. 
I, I read a book about the Old Testament. And when I got it, it was supposed to be a book about reigniting a passion about the Old Testament. And uh, it had been recommended. I was reading. And then I got in that book. And he started, he was trying to help people learn how to read it with excitement again and all this. Because he was saying in a lot of churches across America, and he, he was not an apostolic, but he, uh, but he was saying uh, they don't read the Old Testament at all anymore. And so he was trying to reignite some excitement about it. But he said, he said, listen, the reason why a lot of people don't read in the Old Testament is because there are confusing things that they don't understand that, that, that don't simply relate to the message of love that they hear on a Sunday morning at their church. And they said they don't really understand how God can be so... Uh, non-politically correct and so bloodthirsty and so judgmental and also so offensive to the LGBTQ XYZ community. And he started going through that and he said, you know, rather than avoid that, I'm just going to try to explain ways that you can, you know, navigate through that and find the nuggets and the gems that are in there in the midst of that offensive material. I thought, I wouldn't be, want to be in your shoes for anything in the world. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, then I'm going to be ashamed of you. Who is Jesus? He said he was the Word. He's the truth. He's the word made flesh. The word come down from heaven. So anything you're talking about in this book, you're talking about him. He said if you're ashamed of it, he's ashamed of you. I want it to be where when he looks over heaven at me, uh, he gives a little shout. I'm proud of my boy down there because he's excited to be in love with this truth. I don't ever want to be ashamed of that book or anything it teaches. Because if you're going to have church, God told us how to have church. If you're going to see people saved, there's only one way they're going to be saved. That's obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news is that he died, was buried, and he rose again that we might have eternal life. You got to die, you got to be buried, and you got to rise with him to walk in the newness of life. You do that by repentance, by water baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. There is no other way to be saved. It's the only way he saved anybody ever is through faith in him. And it points to Calvary. If you're going to be in the church, if you're going to be saved, you're going to have to do what Jesus said, and that's repent of your sins. If you want to have your sins washed away, there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You've got to be buried with him in baptism. Take on the name of Jesus in baptism. You must be filled with the Holy Ghost. If 
you don't have the spirit of Christ, you're none of his. You know how you know you got the Holy Ghost? There's a lot of ways. One of the ways is the joy that it puts in your soul. I've seen it all my life. When somebody gets the Holy Ghost, they open their eyes after that experience. They want to hug the nearest human being to them. I, I preach that. I teach that. And we, gotta, we just got into one of the territorial prisons in Colorado. And so they went down there. The men went down there and preaching and teaching and having altar service. One of those men said, I can't wait to see if it's just like Brother Burgess said, because everybody they've seen get the Holy Ghost, they think, well, maybe they, they saw it. They got a hold of a man in there. He didn't know what Pentecost was. He didn't know what church was. He didn't know much about the Bible, and they kept working with him, and he had seen nobody in the prison get the Holy Ghost. He was a rough customer, and he had ought against a few people that were gathered in that meeting, but he got the Holy Ghost in the prison and the first thing he did when he opened his eyes is he betrayed the gang he was a part of and hugged a member of the opposite group that was supposed to hate him. I'm telling you, when you get the Holy Ghost, nobody's gonna have to ask you if you got the Holy Ghost. My God. No preacher's going to have to stand up here and say, well, if anybody got saved, please let us know before you leave. No, we know you when you get saved. You get the Holy Ghost. And you're going to leave here with a wet head because you're going to go down in water in the name of Jesus if you're going to be saved. But the initial sign is speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. I'm glad I'm part of an old-time tongue-talking church. Some more than others. Paul said, I, I do it more than all of you. But you got to do it in order for the evidence to be there. The sign that the Holy Ghost has baptized you. And we know it very plainly. Because you know Peter, and he took some witnesses that were among the rest of the skeptical Jews. You know, under the Jewish law, every word has to be established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. He didn't even know why when he went down to Cornelius' house, but he took six Jews with him. God said, we'll just double this. The requirement's two or three. I'm sending six. I want this sealed up and doubled down on. Uh, the Lord didn't say that. I think that's a gambling reference. I ain't never doubled down on anything, but it just popped in my head. <laughs> double it. Double it. And they walked in there and the Sanhedrin of the church was sitting there watching. And I don't know why they got the Holy Ghost when they did. Maybe Peter didn't even have enough faith to give them an altar call. I think he did, though, because when he walked in, he knew he had already believed Gentiles couldn't get the Holy Ghost. And the first words out of his mouth was, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Now, you six might not be believing it, but I believe Peter walked in there expecting somebody to get the Holy Ghost. And while he yet spake, while he preached, the Holy Ghost fell on them. 
They were filled with the Holy Ghost. He looked around at those six and said, what are we going to do now, boys? He said, I believe we need to baptize them. Why? For we heard them speak with other tongues. That's how we know they have received the Holy Ghost as well as we, just like us. They got the same Holy Ghost we got. They may be Gentiles, but God didn't have a different plan for them. He had the same plan. How do I know? For we heard them speak with tongues. It's still a tongue-talking church. Still an owl running church. Still a shouting church. That's the only way he's gonna build a church. He doesn't build dead, formal, dry, religious churches. That's not the church that I came up in. It's not the one that saved me from my sins. It's not the one that drug you out of sin. You came in in a praying church. Came in in an apostolic church. And I'll tell you the way God directs his church is by the spirit and by the word. God has a plan. He's got a plan for the future. And it's the same way he has always had a plan. God built a theocracy in Israel, which means God was the king. He was in charge. But they got to wanting a king like the nations around them. No, we want to do it like everybody else. God said, you're going to have trouble. Oh, no, we just got to be like everybody else. I don't know what it is about that desire to be like everybody else. But that's the way it is. Let me tell you, church is so tempting to look around at what everybody else is doing as they do it man's way. It may look successful to start with, but the end of it is death. You got to get used to doing it God's way. God's way. God's plan has blessings. God, God's plans has a, has a wonderful future. It's the promised land if you follow God's plan. You need to learn how to get blessings in your life. You need to learn how to get the favor of God in your life. And that's just trusting in what God wants to do. Trusting in how God does it. Trusting in the ways of God. I want to learn God's ways and I want to sell out to it. And God has a particular plan. It's his way. He built this church to be a theocracy. He's the king. He's in charge. But God, as the ultimate authority, he delegates authority. He's got to have representatives, ambassadors, emissaries. And he commissioned the church to be his ambassadors and his emissaries to the world. But he said, I got to have an ambassador to the church. I've got to have an emissary to the church. And just like in the Old Testament, he pulled the models of both the prophets and the priests together into what he said is the ministry 
of the word of God, the preaching of the word. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. I want to tell you, you can't have a church without a preacher. God said, I'm not going to operate except in certain ways. I don't need a committee of people that are wise in the ways of the world. I need a man that knows how to get in the prayer room and get the fresh manna from heaven. When Paul told Timothy, preach the word, he didn't say preach the scriptures. He said literally in the logo, in, in, in the Greek, Preach the Logos. He said, preach the mind of God. You don't need a preacher with a dry seminary education that has no spirit. What you need is a man of God that'll get in a prayer room and come out ever with thus saith the Lord. This is what God wants us to do. This is the direction God wants us to take. That's God's plan. But then God puts his plan in your hands. He does not give the preacher any leverage. Listen to me. Preacher don't sign any of your paychecks. Your employers don't call him to find out whether you ought to get paid this week or not. You, you can say, I don't want to do anything that's being preached. Fine. Nobody's going to make you. And I'm telling you, I'm not here to tell you horror stories about how God smashed everybody that left the church because they didn't listen to the preaching. I've seen people leave the church and go off and become millionaires. I've seen people leave the church and go off and they're vacationing everywhere and having a great time. But I want you to know that ain't the end of the story. God will let you do whatever you want to. He's not going to manipulate you in the church. He's not going to force you in the church. It's in your lap. I want you to know God said, I'm going to build a plan and that's the way I'm going to have church. And the way he has it is he sends a man of God. And he says, okay, saints, okay, people, do you want to be blessed? Do you want to go to heaven? Do you want to have revival? Well, then you got to listen to the preaching. you you gotta, you gotta trust in God. You gotta believe in God's plan. And if you do, I'll pour out my blessings. Spiritually. You say, well, I, I wanna line up for the financial blessings. Well, you may get some of those, especially if God needs you to turn around and bless the church or missionaries with it. But I can tell you this, you can make a whole lot more money missing church and, and cheating and clawing your way up the corporate ladder. You say, I didn't think you could do that. Well, how do you think there's all those billionaires out there? All those millionaires. Yeah. I'm not going to try to manipulate you. I'm not going to tell you if you leave God, you'll be a pauper. You might be, but it'll only be because God's trying to squeeze you and get you back into church. Judgment's reserved to later. I'm not going to try, and I'll do anything to try to see somebody saved, but I am not going to stand up here and manipulate you. I'm not going to tell this church that you can't figure out worldly ways and unethical ways to fill this building with people because you can do it. You won't have a church, but you can do it. You, you can fill it up with trouble. You can fill it up with immorality. You can fill it up with cutthroats. 
because there's always somebody looking for the newest and the latest and the greatest. But you listen to me, God is gonna have a church. God's gonna have a true church. He's not building it any other way than old time preaching of the word of God. And when that little baby lands in your lap, it's up to you. You can throw it to Egypt and you'll never see the blessings of God. You'll never be a soul winner. You'll never hear the newborn cry of a babe in this altar. But I want you to know if you'll grab hold of the word of God and say I'm hanging on with everything that is within me. God will fill this building up. The Lord will add to the church daily such as should be saved. In the book of 2 Kings, I want to take a few moments because I want to prove to you that there is a difference and show you what I'm preaching to you about. I know you love preaching, but I'm I'm really trying to get a message across to somebody because there's there's a lot of things that may come down the road in the next few years. It'll be the Lord tarries, Brother Sampson. You and I are going to transition. A lot of these elders, if the Lord tarries, are going to transition. Scares me when my friends talk about their sons are pastoring their churches. My son's taking driver's ed. And yes, I will be 60 at my next birthday. I got some other sons too, though, and a grandbaby on the way. I'm fixing to join the ranks. And whoever said all that, let me tell you, it will change when grandbabies get here. Not the doctrine. Not the way we have church. But if they're going to spank that baby, they better. it's a good thing they got their own home. Uh-huh. Anyway, 2 Kings chapter 2. Now let me first go. Well, let's, let's go to chapter 2 first. 2 Kings chapter 2. This is when Elisha was about to see Elijah go away. And the scripture tells us, verse 10, and he said, well, Elisha said, let's back up, verse 9. Came to pass when they were going over that Elijah said unto Elisha, ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, And he cried, my father, my father, and the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. He took also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. 
and took the mantle. And I'll tell you in a minute what he did. He, he looked up. He saw Elijah leaving. And he made a statement. My father, my father. That, that lets you know what, how he looked at him in relationship. Then he said, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. Now, I'll show you because it's, we're going to go to another place where it said, he was not referring to what he might have seen in the heavens. He was making a statement as he looked at that prophet. My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. He was calling that man those phrases, those names. And there was, during the time of the Babylonian exile, there was the word, the Old Testament that had been written up till then was translated from their Hebrew language to the Aramaic. It's called the Targum. And in that Targum, which is really the Hebrew scriptures, it's just their translation. But those people that lived that far back, it, it'll let you know what they were thinking. But he said, my father, my father, you are better to Israel through your prayers than all the chariots and horsemen. And all that I can find in scholarship agrees with that sentiment that he was looking at the man of God and he was really saying, I don't know who, what everybody else put their trust in, but I'm seeing the man go that were the true defense of Israel. He was the true army of Israel. He was the protection of Israel. He, he, he was our stalwart champion. The horseman of Israel. How did he do it? not by his strength and not by his prowess with weapons but by his praying by his walking with God by his prophesying by his being used of God and Elisha said I don't know who else may have the revelation but I'm going to tell you I got it figured out how God works I got it figured out how God builds a nation it's through these old despised prophets there are some that hate him there are some that want to kill him, but I see he's more important to me than the chariots and horsemen. And I'll tell you, the next generation was in that servant's hands. He had followed him. He had been influenced by him. But I'll tell you how it all come down. God said, I want this recorded because this man's about to turn around and he's about to have a double portion. He's about to do twice the miracles. But I need everybody to know where the moment came that when I took Elijah away, there was another man on the scene that was saying, God, I see where the power is. I see where the future is. I see where the glory is. It's in that old prophet and in his ways. That's why he took that mantle and he walked back to the river and he smote it just like Elijah and he said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? I don't need any other methods. I don't need any other plans. I just need to be tapped in like Elijah was. Oh, 
Oh, hallelujah. That's why I say, church, young men, I see these young folks up here singing, worshiping. Oh, Brother Caleb, I can't tell you what it means for me to hear you talk about your father like he, you, you, like uh, you've been talking about uh, and your mother and those that have gone before, but especially your father. Because I want to tell you there's power in the old time way. There's power in the way God does it. And if you're going to be a part of the future of what God wants to do, you got to realize I'm not ashamed of my dad. I'm not ashamed of the old time way. I'm not ashamed of the prayer room. I'm not ashamed of the shouting. I'm not ashamed of the worship. I'm not ashamed of this message. Get it in your soul. Young people, you can look around and see some gray heads. They're not going to be here forever. But one day it was in their hand. One day when Elder Triplett preached in this part of the country, and I've heard the story, came out of some false doctrine and got hooked up with Brother Williams and got a hold of this truth, and he preached it in this area. Thank God there were some people, some of you saints that remember those days. You know why you're still here and why there's a church still here? You believed in the birth of the promise. You just believed in what God said. You believed God would do it. If the man of God preached it, you said, I'm going to live it. If the man of God preached it, you said, I'm going to trust in it. I'm going to believe in it. I'm going to follow it. Brother Samson came along. You've been pastoring this church 23 years? Oh, yeah. I thought it was two or three. That's about how long ago it seemed like we got started in all this. Times are flying by. I'm telling you, it's way quicker than we think. It'll seem like a blink of an eye, Brother Samson, and there's another generation. Uh, Our future's in your hands, young people. Oh, did it all go for nothing? Have we wasted our time? I'll tell you, it will be all for nothing if you turn aside to a new cart, if you turn aside to something that you like better. I'm telling you, you better get off your phones. You better get off your Facebook and get your face in this book, as the old saying goes. You better, you better quit listening to what all the stars and the glitter and the glamour think about it and say, let me find an old gray-headed prayer warrior and learn how to pray. Our future is in your hands. Oh, hallelujah. I'm telling you, I believe if the Lord tarries, I want to come back here years later. I want to see every pew full, but not just full of a show, but full of apostolics, full of tongue talkers, full of holiness living people. But you know who's going to make that decision? It's not us. We've already preached. We've already had our day. It's going to be young men and young people. Are you going to buy into this or not? Oh, hallelujah. Because there's always another way. And you don't even have to change clothes to do it. You don't even have to change your terminology to do it. Same book. A few chapters later. This time, it's not Elijah that's the old man. 
It's not Brother Triplett that's the old man. It's Brother Sampson that's the old man. Time moves on. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not being rude. I'm making a point. I remember being over here when Brother Triplett was the elder, the old man. Now it's our turn. And there's young folks coming on. And I'll tell you why I spend time in a message like this. I'll tell you why there's something stirring inside of me. There was a time that Elisha became the old man. There was a time when uh, Elisha took the king out. He came to see him because Elisha was laying there of the sickness he was to die of. They were beset by Syria. And the old prophet said, oh, there's an opportunity, son, to get the victory over the enemy and to rebuild some things in God's country, God's people. He said, I want you to take these arrows. Come over here with me, and we're going to shoot this arrow and shoot it out that window. This is, he said, this is the arrow of the Lord's deliverance. And that man looked at the prophet and he said the same thing that Elisha had said. It must have been sweet music to that old man's ears. He looked at Elisha and he said, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. Oh, yeah, just like you said it to Brother Triplett, he said, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And the prophet said, okay, I love what I'm hearing. It's in your hands. I told you how it's done. It's in your hands. And I hear those sweet words. And it takes me back to that day across the river when I said the same thing. And I walked out there and I smote that river. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? It's been a beautiful run. Oh, I've seen a lot of miracles. I've seen the hand of God work. And it's my dying desire that somebody would take on the vision to keeping God's people set free from the oppressor. I love what I'm hearing. Okay, son, take those arrows and I want you to smite the ground. Oh, yeah. And he took those arrows and he walked over. Okay, you're watching me. I guess as long as you're still alive, I'll do it like you say. Tap, tap, tap. And Elisha's heart sank. And the righteous anger began to rise up inside of him. I thought you had the revelation, son. I thought you meant what you said when you looked at me and said, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. 
if you would have grabbed those arrows and say, I trust in this old time way. I believe what you're saying, preacher. If you say hit it, I'll hit it till there's nothing but a nub of these arrows left. The prophet said, I would have taken just five or six and it would have meant the victory over Syria. But I'm telling you, you'll be defeated. You may win a few little victories, but you'll not win the war. You didn't get it, son. You didn't mean what you said. Oh, Brother Caleb Simpson, I want you to believe what you're saying. I want you to mean, you young people, when you get up here and shout, this ain't just a little tap, tap, tap. Oh, yeah, I'm going to shout long as Sister Sampson's up here with me. I'm telling you, you better get something down in your soul. I'm not ashamed of this aisle running old time way of living and worshiping. my God, my God. Don't you be ashamed of that long hair. Boys, don't you be ashamed of being nicely turned out. I don't care what the world's wearing to church. I don't care how many coffee shops they set up in the sanctuary. I don't care how many light shows they put on. I don't care how many movie nights they have in the fellowship hall. I'm telling you, somebody's got to believe in the future. Somebody's got to believe in the old time way. Somebody's got to believe that this is going to happen the same way it happened when God found us. It's in your hands. Let's stand. Somebody's got to believe in this old time way. You say, Brother Burgess, have you ever had, let me tell you, the battles never stop. Not long ago, you know, COVID took a toll when all that stuff happened. I remember Brother Johnson looked at me and said, now we're going to find out who the real church is. Little did I know that it wouldn't be, but a short time later that they were going to walk off the platform for a compromising church across town. Because sitting at home with spare time on their hands they found out they liked that stuff we preached against. They enjoyed that entertainment. They found a way. And they said, well, we don't even have to change the name of who we are. We don't even have to backslide. We can go to the church cross town. We can go to the ball games. We can go see... The Broncos, and we can put a TV in our living room, and no condemnation, and we get right on that platform over there. Oh, yeah, they're out there. They'll tell you, you don't have to live this old-fashioned way. But will there be an apostolic church in another 20 years in our communities? I'm not changing what I preach. This man's not changing what he preaches, but it's in your hands. It's in your hands. Are you falling in love with it? Oh, what about it, mothers and daddies? 
looking at that little baby now a teenager Oh, the future of the church is in your hands. When you walk out of here and go home, what you gonna say about what the preacher preached tonight? What you gonna say about the way we made a fool out of ourselves up here worshiping? Well, I just don't think it takes all that. It takes every bit of it. It takes every bit of it. That's why we're here. And it's why we're passionate about it and hold it up. I will you, I'd gather them little babies up, Jacobin, and I would say, God, I'm not letting the devil kill my future. I'm not letting it happen. Oh, hallelujah. You can't make their choices for them. I can't make the choices for my sons. But I tell you what, I'll go down fighting. I'll fight every step of the way for them to be saved. Jochebed, you were ready. I'll throw my life out there. You can take my life, but don't take my future away. I tried to learn how to preach a little calmer, a little more dignified. People were telling me I'd live longer. I tried it. I'd rather die early and be an apostolic. I don't have time for dead church. I'm not going to sit on the platform and watch everybody else worship. God's been too good to me. But I'm giving an altar call tonight. And I'm asking you what you're going to do with that little baby Moses that was birthed last night in the middle of that worship. Revival in our time. What you going to do with the challenge that God needs people to help in his kingdom. Make a commitment. Walk away from some times for yourself and for selfishness and say, okay, God, I'm giving it all to you. I'm sold out. What you going to do, Jacobed? Is this baby worth fighting for? Is this baby worth living for? It's your future, and it's in your hands. Brother Samson, it's not in yours. God called you to preach. You can't live, live it for anybody. You can't love it for anybody. Much as you love your son, you can't love this truth for him. All you can do is love it for yourself and preach it like you've been preaching, standing in the ways of God. But I'll tell you what's happening around here is somebody saying, I want it for my generation too. I love it. The future's in my hands. I believe it's in good hands. Oh, hallelujah. Brother Samson and Brother Samson, would both of y'all come? I just, I just, I know we prayed for them a number of times, but they represent something right now. I've been seeing it every service. As this young man says, I thank God for my dad. All his children are feeling that way and saying the testimonies tonight. You know what? From the time they were babies till now, the future was being raised up. We're going to be gone one of these days. What kind of futures are going to be? Oh, hallelujah. Paul, Paul was at the end of his life and he said, I've, I've been doing some remembering. I've been thinking about your grandmother, Timothy.
And oh, how she loved God. I've been thinking about your mother and the faith that she had. And I'm persuaded that it's in you also. Why did he use that term persuaded? He didn't say, I know it. He said, I've just been examining again all the evidence. I feel like it. I think I'm reading it right. But I realize I can't know it. You just got to live it. I saw it then. I know we had it. But I'm about to leave here. It's been going on since the Bible days that somebody's got to get a hold of it. Young people, you look at this. But what I want you to do tonight is I want you, it don't have to be your parents. I want you to find an elder in this church. Oh, yes, somewhere. When we come down to the front, you go and find somebody that's an elder and say you start praying together pray for me I want to live it I want to love it hallelujah Jesus young people just wait just a moment and I like the older folks of the church maybe 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 50 and up if you'd come first to the altar and all of you guests just hang on a few minutes I know it includes us I know we got to believe it too but I want this church to make the first steps this is their church we're praying for their future right here in this building amen local church I know a lot of them are out it's okay amen just some of you 40 and up I don't care maybe you're all a young church but oh I need, I need some to come on up here some of you and then after they're up here spread out a little bit if you you will because I want young folks to be able to come up and take you by the hand maybe men on one side ladies on the other I I didn't plan this out. I just feel it in the Holy Ghost. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Ladies over here, look at these ladies. Look at these men. How long have some of them lived for God? I'm going to tell you, they got scars from doing battle with the devil. Oh, they've got, they've got calluses on their knees from praying. They've been faithful to live the truth. Young people, I want you to come and find somebody. It doesn't matter who. Oh, hallelujah. This is the generation that's lived it up to now. And you want us, you want to get a hold of it. This is the present and the past. We've lived it. Our days are, I don't know how long we got. I'm not quitting till it's over. But I'm telling you, I'm not the future. You're the future. And I want you to come and start praying with one of these elders. Ask them, pray with me, please. Pray with me. Pray with me. Oh, hallelujah. If you're going to a family member, do what you need to do. Otherwise, ladies to ladies and men to men. Oh, God, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on. Oh, some of you mothers and daddies, pray for your children. Elders, pray for this youth group that they get a hold of it like you've got it. Oh, 